What is worldview and how does this touch each of our lives? Hi, Alex McFarland here. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. And we've got a great hour of programming. We're going to uh, talk with a couple of authors and opinion makers. We're going to talk about biblical worldview in the culture and a, and a book that I think is very important to understand some of the uh, philosophies and trends influencing our culture and our world today. But I, I do want to welcome you. Very honored to be here. And I uh, want to say that uh, if you recognize my name or my voice, uh, Alex McFarlane, it's probably because of a show that airs 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern called Exploring the Word. Bert Harper and I teach the Bible. It's a live Bible teaching show here on the American Family Radio Network. But I um, my avocation that uh, many people are aware of is apologetics and biblical worldview, and I've been on the road teaching biblical worldview for two decades, and in fact, um, my own website, which is alexmcfarland.com, my schedule is on there, and uh, the books and things the Lord's allowed me to do, but we are definitely in a battle of worldviews, and I want to make you aware of one event coming up, and then I want to bring on our, our very special guest, Dr. Richard Weikert. But uh, July 8 through 10, I'm going to be at The Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, The Cove, teaching 1 Peter. Now, this summer I'm teaching 1 Peter. Next summer I'm teaching 2 Peter. But we're talking about apologetics, defending the Christian faith. And if you want to learn more information about The Cove, their website is thecove.org. That's like T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. And I would love to see you there when we go through the Word of God, First Peter, and we fellowship with people from throughout North America. We'll pray together. We'll just have a great time this summer at the Cove. And then one more thing, my summer camp that we do every year, our youth camp, is July 17th through 22nd. Unashamed, building your biblical worldview, Will and Mickey Addison will be there with me. In fact, I was in Houston, Texas this weekend with Will and Mickey. And we had a great parenting and youth conference, but a lot going on, and we have every reason, my goodness, to know what we believe and the reasons why, and to be prepared to defend uh, our Christian faith. And I, I do hope Christianity is your faith. I hope you're a believer. But uh, if you're not, well, consider the evidence and consider the message. And I believe if you give an honest look at the claims of Christ and what he did to validate and prove those claims, I think you'll have to, real, like Second Peter chapter 1 says, that we have not followed cleverly devised fables, but this is reality. Well, I'm very interested to speak with Dr. Richard Weichart. He is a, a California State University uh, emeritus professor. He's the author of From Darwin to Hitler, Hitler's Ethic, the Nazi Pursuit of Evolutionary Progress. And uh, Dr. Weikert, first of all, thanks for being with us on AFR. Appreciate you holding and uh, appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, it's great talking to you. Yeah. Um, now, are you are you in California? Are you calling in from the West Coast? Yes. Yes, I'm in California right now. Well, thanks for getting up early. That's <laughs> uh, I really appreciate that. But most of all, obviously, thank you for using your gifts and abilities for the cause of of scholarship on behalf of the biblical worldview. And before we get into your book or any specific topics, speak, if you would, for a moment um, about scholarship as ministry, because in a way it is, isn't it? 
Yeah, in fact, I got interested in uh, European intellectual history, which is my uh, my field that I do most of my research in. I got interested in it actually by reading Francis Schaeffer's works back in the 1970s. Uh, sure. He's, of course, one of the famous apologists of the middle part of the 20th century. Uh, and I was interested in seeing how he analyzed the way that uh, secular philosophies had undermined the Judeo-Christian uh, worldview uh, in many ways. And had led us into the moral decay, and so I've sort of set it as my goal and my scholarship to try to counter some of these uh, uh, secular philosophies in various ways. Well, you know, nowadays a lot of people talk about, you know, worldview, but, you know, 25, 30, 35 years ago, I mean, that was kind of a new idea in the Christian community, wasn't it? I, I guess that um, among popular writing and and among just you know, I guess I, I want to say lay people, the idea that philosophies and worldview drive culture, you know, three decades ago, that was kind of a new idea, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think Francis Schaeffer was one of the key uh, figures in helping to uh, bring that uh, awareness to uh, the uh, Christian community. I mean, I think people had always been aware before that, I mean, earlier, that, you know, there's these problems with different philosophies out there, but I think Schaefer was was able to articulate it in a way that made people uh, understand, you know, how these worldviews impacted our uh, beliefs and our society and culture. Uh, Dr. Weicker, what is your definition of worldview? Well, it's the, a comprehensive philosophy of life. It's how you view everything in the world, from uh, what exists to how we should live. And so it basically is a comprehensive view of, of reality. What, what is, or or is unreality. If, you, if your worldview is incorrect, it could be a comprehensive view of unreality. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people are there, aren't they? Yeah, correct, yes. Right. Um, as, as an historian and theologian, philosopher, um, what are you, what's your response to, okay, one of the predominant, and I, I speak with a lot of college students, and now... Even professed Christian young adults will vehemently defend transgenderism. Uh, and the reason I bring this up, I segue to, in this direction because you're talking about worldviews of unreality. All right, I, give me your assessment of you know the idea that gender is fluid and the idea that we can change our physiology by thinking about it. I mean, what what is your response to that? Yeah, well, all of these ideas that we're being confronted with, including LGBTQ, including transgenderism, including uh, same-sex marriage, you know, all of these different things that we're being confronted with in our culture are sort of at, at the end of a process of decline in our thinking. And I think it's running right along with what Romans chapter 1 talks about, where it says that their foolish heart was darkened after they had, you know, professing to be wise, they became fools, and their foolish heart was darkened. And it was because they rejected the notion that there's a God and a Creator and such, and so then it just degenerates after that. And unfortunately, uh, Scripture also teaches us that uh, uh, evil communication corrupts good manners. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that we're in a society where people are promoting these kinds of things, it affects us, uh, and we have to be on on guard against it. Uh, 
Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that, you know, we're not to be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's so easy to be conformed to this age. I mean, mm-hmm. we want to be accepted by people around us. We want to, you know, there's a, there's a desire in us for that. And I think that's a God-given desire, actually, but that's why it's so important we cultivate good friends. That was why mm-hmm. it's so important that we have Christian fellowship, uh, so that we can be around people who uh, think rightly uh, and who uh, understand the ways of God. Uh, Dr. Weikert, how concerned are you, you about uh, our inability even within the church, to rationally discuss things and scripturally discuss things. I mean, when it comes to things like, you know, homosexual activity, gay marriage, transgenderism, uh, certain political issues, uh, many people, I mean, they it can go from conversation to heated emotions, like, really quickly. And it, it seems like Sometimes even among believers, there's this inability or maybe unwillingness to just rationally try to think through and arrive at truth, arrive at a biblical position. Uh, How concerned are you that we've lost the ability to reasonably discuss things out? Yeah, it seems like that's not just a problem in the Church, it's a problem in our broader culture, that things are becoming so polarized. And part of the problem, I think, again, is the issue that People have relatives and friends who are engaging in these activities, and so it becomes personal to them. It's not just some abstract idea uh, out there. Uh, and so I think this does uh, sometimes ratchet up uh, the problem and make it more difficult to, to uh, discuss it. Uh, but as believers, of course, we need to, you know, in love and in uh, in charity, you know, be able to discuss these things with people so that we can mm-hmm. uh, show people the dangers these things. These things are dangerous. They harm people. It's not just—these are not just, you know, things where God is trying to steal our fun from us, you know, by doing—by yeah, you know, exactly. telling us not to do these things. You know, God knows that these things are dangerous and harmful. Um, how concerned are you about the future of our Constitution here in America? Well, it's certainly under attack. It's been well. It's been under attack for a long time. I mean, think of Roe v. Wade, which has you know, there's nothing in the Constitution that has anything to do with abortion, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's been under attack for a long time. Uh, it's and even before, even decades before that, there were many jurists who were talking about the Constitution being an, an evolving document. And you know, a lot of my uh, scholarship has been done on uh, Darwinism and uh, some of the. Uh, ideas of Darwinism applied socially, sometimes they think of everything as evolving, not just biological oh, yeah. organisms. Uh, but then the Constitution becomes an evolving document, too. Uh, and in fact, in my uh, book, Death of Humanity, that came out uh, about six years ago, uh, I talk about Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., who was a staunch Darwinist and social oh, yes. Darwinist. He believed in the military, Darwinian militarism and such, and he's the one that wrote the Buck versus Bell decision about uh, eugenics, uh, compulsory sterilization that allowed compulsory sterilization to keep going on in the United States. Uh, and Holmes uh, believed that the, the U.S., that he didn't believe that there were any such thing as inalienable rights. And there are many oh, Darwinists yeah. today who don't believe there are inalienable rights. And so they deny that part of the Declaration of Independence, which so powerfully stated that, you know, we're created in the image, that we're, excuse me, that we're created equal, that all men are mm-hmm. created equal, 
and are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But there are many people who are denying that, and so they just decide that might makes right. In fact, Oliver Wendell Holmes actually said that out, out forthrightly. He said that might makes right, that whoever has the power, you know, gets to you know, just call the shots, essentially. And so he no longer believed in a constitution where you had inalienable rights. Uh, for those just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Richard Weikert, author, historian, academic, uh, Christian thinker. And, you know, I want to say uh, how much I appreciate you, and I, I want to get into, um, is, is the um, Darwin to Hitler, is that your most recent book? No, no, that's uh, that book came out in two thousand four, actually. Oh, okay. And the book I'm that sorry. just came, the book of mine that just came out uh, recently last month was called Darwinian Racism: How Darwinism okay. Influenced Hitler, Nazism, and White Nationalism. And it's a sequel to From Darwin to Hitler. From Darwin to Hitler covered mostly the pre nineteen fourteen period okay. and looking at the background. This book looks at the Nazi period itself and mm-hmm. shows Hitler's own ideology. It shows the way that the Nazis uh, engineered their biology curriculum to uh, emphasize uh, Darwinism and racism as an out- what they saw as an outgrowth of Darwinism, uh, and then how they promoted in their propaganda. So the Nazis were very uh, zealous about promoting Darwinism because they thought it showed that races were unequal and that they were in a Darwinian struggle for existence. And so they thought they were sort of helping that Darwinian process along when they were killing off people of other races that they considered inferior. Do you, do you see any parallels between that period of history and the modern day? Well, I, I see parallels, but not in the way that some people might think. For one thing, I do and actually in the last chapter of my book talk about white nationalists today. Mm-hmm. Now, they're a fringe group. They're not, you know, mainstream. But still, they are, are recycling the same arguments that the Nazis were using. White nationalists today, if you look at the alt-right or the white nationalists, they are recycling the idea that races are unequal and that it's because of the evolutionary processes and we're in a Dar- and that these races are in a Darwinian struggle for existence. So that's going on today. But where I see more interesting parallels are with the way that Darwinism has undermined the Judeo-Christian sanctity of life ethics so that mm. you get people now promoting other things like abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia on the basis of Darwinism. They're not promoting racism necessarily. Forgive me for interrupting. We've got to take a brief break. Uh, Please hold on. Uh, This is the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here. We're talking with Dr. Richard Weikert, author, Christian thinker, and worldview voice. Definitely worth hearing. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this brief break. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. 
My friend, there is no more relevant doctrine to what we face in our generation than this truth. Soon and very soon, we're gonna stand before the Lord and give an account for the things done in the flesh. And we better believe that. Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, Signs, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. I love the cooperation between the gifts that these men have. Ezra was a scribe. He knew the law. He knew what to say. Nehemiah was a leader, and God did a great work. Nehemiah had a vision. He prayed about it. He exerted leadership and motivated people. And then when the going got tough, he kept on going. Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, advancing through the scriptures weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. This is the sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as six weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in America and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. And this time, there were three. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Welcome back to the American Family Radio Network Worldview. Uh, you know, Dr. Weikert, and by the way, folks, if you're just tuning in, our guest, very honored to have on Dr. Richard Weikert. Uh, you know, I could tell you so many things about his uh, accomplishments as a, as a scholar and professor, but I, I want to uh, use our time. Uh, but you remember the, the book by James Sire, The Universe Next Door? Yeah. And, and, you know, he defined worldview as a set of assumptions which may be true, may be partially true, may be entirely false about the basic makeup of the world. I think that that was a book uh, that introduced a lot of people to the concept of worldview uh, for the first time. Um, it, over, over the years, d- do you feel like the church has become a little more worldview savvy with so many things, like, like you said, Roe versus Wade, moral relativism? Uh, we're living in a time right now of almost kind of like militant autonomy. You know, we don't. Nobody wants to answer to anything. But do you think the church has become a little more dialed into what worldview is and what the implications of worldview are? Well, I hope so, uh, and I'm hoping that we'll become even more savvy as time goes on uh, to these issues and uh, recognize that you know we're in spiritual warfare and that these things are out there and we need to combat them. You know, one. The the, wep- the main weapon that Satan has to use against us is lies, and that's what that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to construct these worldviews that are built upon lies. Uh, mm-hmm. And what one of the things that I try to show in my earlier book, uh, The Death of Humanity, is how there's a tension between the lies that people are believing when they believe false worldviews and reality. And they, they themselves very often are living in this tension and don't understand it. And one of the most interesting examples I came across that really blew me away uh, 
was Bertrand Russell, the famous uh, early 20th century uh, British philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote, he wrote some, he was an atheist. He was promoting an atheistic worldview where he claimed that when you'd read his writings, he claimed that life had no meaning, there was no purpose in life, you know, we're just the product of chance processes that had taken place over eons of time, uh, and so there's no meaning or purpose or anything, no God. But he wrote some letters in private uh, to a lover of his where he talked about how he had this yearning for the transcendent and how he was desiring, and he even called it God, although he then said also, but I don't believe he exists. Uh, right, but he had this right. yearning for the transcendent. So there was a sense in which he knew better. I mean, inside himself, he somehow knew that there was something beyond, you know, what he was saying with his, uh, in, his and, pu- in public. And, and all atheists really seem to um, have, have similar sentiments, don't they? And and I've I've interviewed many like Richard, um, well emailed back and forth with Richard Dawkins, yeah. but spent a fair amount of time interviewing and talking with and interacting with Christopher Hitchens and a number of others, maybe less famous. But the the funny thing, and it really betrays their lip service to unbelief. But atheists talk about the transcendent and even um, express desire that God did exist, don't they? Yeah, many of them do, uh, and uh, you know, we don't. There's various reasons why people become atheists. Uh, sometimes it's rebe- definitely it's rebellion against authority in one sense or another. Rebellion against God as the authority. In fact, I was talking one time with one professor, and I won't name his name, but I was talking with a very prominent professor uh, who was is an either atheist or agnostic, and he was raised in a uh, Christian household, and he told me that from a very young age that he and God never got along. And here's what he told me. He said, and here's the reason why. He said, I don't want him telling me what to do in this life, and I sure don't want him telling me what to do in the next life. Mm. Wow. So it was and an issue of rebellion. It was an issue of, I don't want to do what God says to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I've got to ask you this, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when we think of Charles Darwin, we think of his influence on science or science so-called. But in a way, isn't it, hasn't Darwin actually been probably more influential in the non-sciences? Philosophy, culture, even government, yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. educational? Go ahead. Yeah, certainly he's been very influential in biology, obviously, you know, evolutionary biology, you know, reigns supreme in among the vast majority of scientists of our day. However, you're right that there's a huge impact elsewhere. That's where a lot of my scholarship has been focused. So my new book, Darwinian Racism, looks at the way that Darwinism influenced racism. Now, it sort of went both ways. Darwinism was influenced by racism because Darwin thought racism was an evidence for his theory. My first chapter of my book, I look at Darwin himself, and I look at the way that he interpreted races. And he thought that races were unequal because they'd evolved to different levels, uh, and so they were intellectually different. They were even morally different, he thought, because he thought moral uh, traits were biologically ingrained, too. So, But he thought they were also locked in a Darwinian struggle for existence, so this was even uh, worse, that he thought that they were in competition to the death, essentially, and that the unfit ones would die out. And he, when he looked at European imperialism and the fact that they were killing off the Australian Aborigines and the you know, indigenous peoples of the Americas and other places, he saw this as part of the, a natural process, the superior uh, exterminating the inferior. 
And, and you know, it's amazing. So many secular academics are, are you know, passionate defenders of Darwin and the theory of evolution. And yet, uh, you know, Darwin's work is, is horribly racist, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, and uh, many of his followers were likewise racist. And, and Hitler considered himself a follower, too, and then saw his uh, racism as applied evolutionary thinking, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look to today, I think I suggested this a little bit earlier, right before the break. When we look today, most Darwinists are not racists, but many times we can find Darwinists who are devaluing human life in other kinds of ways. So sure. Darwinism doesn't give us any reason to think that humans are any better than any other animal. We're just, you know, uh, just... In fact, the way that Darwin himself phrased it, he said that humans are not qualitatively different than animals. We're just quantitatively different. We just have a little bit more rationality, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of something or other. But qualitatively, there's no distinction. And so when we, when Darwinists today apply that, they sometimes apply it to euthanasia, abortion, infanticide, and other kinds of things. So they choose different groups. They may not choose racial groups to discriminate against, but they discriminate against other groups of humans. Mm. Um, we've got to talk some more... Dr. Weikert, forgive me, I'm going to have to transition to another guest, but I want to say thank you for serving the Lord uh, with your scholarship and uh, the newest book, uh, From Darwin to Hitler, Hitler's Ethic. Um, uh, Where can people find your books, and do you have a website? Yeah, Darwinian Racism, they can go to www.darwinianracism.com, and that will get them to the Discovery Institute uh, website that's about the book. Discovery Institute Press is the one publishing uh, Darwinian mm-hmm. Racism, so they can get there that way, yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today, and I look forward to when you and I can talk again. Yeah, I'd enjoy it. Thanks God for having me on. You. Thanks very much. Thanks. You too. Uh, Alex McFarland here. Folks, you're listening to the American Family Radio Network, and uh, hey, this is a big week uh, for AFR because one of the things we're going to be doing, we're going to be in Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. I appreciate your prayers on that. That's a thing where uh, ministries, uh, you know, all the people that you hear and enjoy on the radio, people like, you know, David Jeremiah and uh, Franklin Graham and, you know, everybody in Christian broadcasting and many people in Christian publishing, we convene different parts of the country. And uh, uh, my wife and I will be heading out uh, in just a few hours to go to Nashville, but keep us in prayer because as you know, all these ministries gather everything from you know the Billy Graham ministry to AFA, AFR, and so many many others. We talk about ministry and talk about what we're doing to try to evangelize the lost and equip the saved. But we also we pray, and certainly everybody's praying for the Ukraine, and we're praying for America as well. Hope you're doing that as well, and. Uh, Anyway, I value value your prayers. Keep your radio tuned to AFR. And also, you know, the mobile device, if you go to AFR.net or also online, there's the AFR app for all mobile devices. And I'm so excited because we have listeners just around the world. I, over the weekend, met a man from Germany that listens to all the programming. And so... Um, Our goal, not only to give news and cultural analysis from a biblical perspective, but to teach listeners in the the Word of God. And so somebody uh, that I want you to meet right now is Dr. Miles Jones. He's the founder of the Institute for Accelerated Learning, and I want to look into what that is. But we're going to talk about several things, and uh, not only 
the uh, well, uh, we might have lost him. Dr. Jones, are you there? I'm here. Okay. When I heard that busy signal, I thought thought we might have lost you for a minute. But thanks for holding and welcome to the program. And uh, look forward to speaking with you now. I uh, just got a question. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Nashville. I'm at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference in Nashville. Uh, so, um, yes. a great opportunity to talk to you. Well, did a, did a, I was just, uh, kind of queuing that up and asking all the listeners to be in prayer for God's hand to be upon that convention. And, uh, so, uh, oh, you're in wonderful. Nashville and, and I'm sure I'll see moment. you there tomorrow, but wh- where is home for oh, really? you? Yes. Uh, Texas, Central Texas. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, well, um, you, you write and speak a lot about the Hebrew gospels. And uh, uh, first of all, before we get into that, uh, give us your website and tell us the main thrust of your work. Well, uh, our uh, institute is called the B'nai Imuna Institute for Accelerated Learning, the Household of Faith. So our work is to restore the the, uh, first century church, the Messianic Apostolic Church, uh, the Mm -hmm. principles of it. I'm not saying we're going to get away with all the modern things we've done, but uh, restore those basic principles of the original church of uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, in, in, in Greek. So that's, and our, our website is called the writing, or writingofgod.com, writingofgod.com. And uh, you can, we give away a free download there on the Hebrew Gospels, Do They Exist? as well as the latest book, Messianic Church Arising, which tells the story of the uh, the 20 centuries of the survival of the Messianic Church, of, of the original Messianic Apostolic Church, which yeah. was declared heretic in the 4th century, and it supposedly had disappeared uh, after that, like good girls and boys who were told they should go away, but they didn't go <laughs> away. They, they became a really positive strongly evangelical church that spread throughout the world and uh, accomplished some major, major things, which, of course, they're never given credit for because they're not supposed to exist, nor are the Hebrew Gospels. Hebrew Gospels are by far the most uh, forbidden book in the history of humankind. And the reason is simple. it's that, you know, all these churches were vying for competition, and the, the Hebraic church was their competition, their largest competition. As later, the Greek church split from the Roman church, and they, they were battling each other. And when I say battling, I mean, they were drawing blood. There were wars. There was, and, oh, yeah, uh, sadly the so. The East was another. So all of these churches were fighting, and I'm sure people are aware at the Reformation how much blood was spilled over that during the Thirty Years' War, which followed the Reformation. So these sure. churches, the, the evil the evil people that are occasionally in charge, uh, uh, were really fighting for power. Does that sound familiar in the things that are happening today in the world? Mm-hmm. People fighting for power and willing to do any dastardly deed to get it. Uh, and at times, there have been absolutely saintly leaders of the Church, and at other times, there have been really evil men that have prevailed. It's a it's a spiritual battleground, and that's just the truth of the matter, and it always has been. And that's well, first of all, let's, let's help people <laughs> understand, because, you know, a lot of times when I'm traveling and speaking, people uh, find it incredible to believe that Jews can be Christians. And, of course, I'm like, mm, well, right. the, the first Christians were Jews, 
You know, it, it, were, it's yeah. we we Gentiles that were late to the party grafted in. Um, <laughs> but for the first couple of hundred years of the church, I mean, the majority of followers of the Lord Jesus were Jewish people, weren't they? Yes, they were. And they had not left Judaism. That's the important thing. The Torah was still critically important to them. They could, they could no more re- renounce the Torah than they could renounce their Savior, their Hebrew Messiah. You know, those, those were their, their two things. And really, that's reflected in Jeremiah 31, 31 um, in the Renewed Covenant. It's that you had. There were two requirements. You had to accept the Son of God as your Savior, the the Hebrew Son of God as your Savior, and allow the Torah to be written on your heart. So those two things have never been rejected, um, not not by Scripture, not by Yehovah. So those are the mm-hmm. the two things they did hold to, and uh, they worshipped the feast days. They called the feast days as did Yeshua, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was really hard for people to accept that. And there's um, still no call for anyone to change denomination to be a follower of the Messiah. Baptists don't have to become Jews. Jews don't have to become Baptists. You know, Catholics don't have to become Messianics. If you're a follower of the Messiah, you're a Messianic. Are, are you Jewish, Dr. Jones? I'm not, no. But no. I, I am Messianic. I go to a Messianic assembly. Sure. And and I know uh, a lot of born-again Jewish people. Um, I know a lot of born-again Gentile people. But, you know, what I want to say to everybody listening, is, as I'm sure many people know, is um, it, when a person puts their faith in Jesus, if, if a Jewish person becomes a born-again believer, they don't cease to be Jewish, but they've mm-hmm. put their faith in Christ and who He is and what He did for our sins. Um you know, uh, this is a fascinating thing. Um, we've got a break. I want I want you to hang on, but when we get back from the break, I want to unpack um, why Christians ought to be familiar with the messianic nature of the gospel in the early church. Dr. Jones, before we take this quick break, uh, what's a website where people can find you online? It's writingofgod.com, writingofgod.com. Okay. Well, when we come back, folks, we're going to continue speaking with Dr. Miles Jones. Dr. Miles Jones, writingofgod.com. Stay tuned. The gospel. We can't study it enough, learn too much about it. The risen Jesus will celebrate his resurrection and Easter pretty soon. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back on the American Family Radio Network with your host, Alex McFarland. Don't go away. What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks, the award-winning documentary from the American Family Association, is now available in a special limited edition DVD set. This release includes a Sunday school curriculum and two hours of additional footage. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get your copy today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation 
Thank you for standing with us. You know, when Matthew 19, the, the scripture records a Pharisee trying to test Jesus concerning marriage, and Jesus responded, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the beginning, the first institution God created was the family. Marriage is the centerpiece of family. As a husband and father myself, let me tell you, marriage is absolutely wonderful. And we want to encourage and educate people to embrace God's design as the fundamental building block for all of human civilization and to celebrate the lifelong union of one man and one woman as the objective institution that produces human flourishing. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, I delivered unto you that which I first received, how that Christ died, was buried according to the Scriptures, the third day rose again from the dead, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for the sins of the world, Friend, that's good news, and we want to say this. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. If you need to come to the Lord or you need to come back to the Lord, hey, do that today. Alex McFarland here, the American Family Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Miles Jones on the the Hebrew nature of the Gospels and the Hebrew Gospels. So let me ask you this, Dr. Jones. Uh, What are the Hebrew Gospels? And when we hear the Gospels, we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Are there... Uh, what's different from the the Gospels I read in my English Bible to your scholarship uh, and research on the Hebrew Gospels? Mm-hmm. Well, the Gospel story is still the Gospel story. Yeshua is still the Son of God and our Savior, so uh, the, the, the essence of it is the same. However, um, everything we know about our Hebrew Messiah we we comes to us through the Greek filter of a of a different language, culture, and thought. And we come out of it having a Greek perspective of the Savior rather than a Hebrew one. It's what is called an archetype. These are the same historical person. Let's let's be totally upfront about that. Yeshua HaMashiach and Jesus Christ are the same historical person. However, the Greek archetype is quite a bit different from the Hebrew archetype, what we are taught about them their perception of them, who they are, what their message is, what their goals are. 
for example, you have a Hebrew Messiah who upholds Torah in Scripture, but we have a Greek archetype of a Jesus Christ who has done away with Torah. Now, they both can't be true, but those are interpretations based on on interpretation of Scripture. One reads it one way, one reads it the other way. So people ask me all the time, what difference does it make, whether it's written in Hebrew uh, or Greek? The Hebrew was the original. Some of the New Testament was originally written in Greek, as far as we know, and some of it was originally written in Hebrew. And I, and I personally don't care. What the, I just want the truth, whether it's written in Hebrew or Greek. Uh, but uh, the, the important thing about it is, is that we know what that, that true perspective uh, of the gospel is. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people it doesn't really make any difference whether it's written in Hebrew or Greek, unless you want to understand the truth of the Bible. If you want to understand the truth of the gospels, then it matters enormously. Uh, whether um, you read it in the original. I, I've, I've got to ask uh, this. John 19.30, when Jesus from the cross said, it, it is finished, and many sermons have been preached on that, uh, what does that mean when, when he from the cross said, it is finished, and then died? What does that that's mean? A, that's really a great comment, Alex. You have to back up. A few moments before that, and he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Now, that is from Psalms. I think it's Psalm 22. What is 22? Psalm 22. Yeah, you're right. 22. Uh, and um, But it's written in Hebrew there. He says in Aramaic. Yeah, and, uh, this and, has and what's been, the significance of that? Yeah. Uh. Well, the significance of it is it's different. It has a different meaning in Aramaic than it does in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it says, why have you abandoned me? In Aramaic, when he says, and he often does this. He'll quote the Old Testament, but he'll give it a new twist for people to be able to better understand it. He, it says in, in Aramaic, it can mean, why have you spared me? My God, my God, why have you spared me? Okay, meaning that uh, it's... What he says a few seconds later, when God answers his prayer, and and takes his spirit up, and he said it it, it is finished. He had accomplished everything he was sent there to accomplish, and so he's asking God, "Why have you spared me the final passage, you know, so that I can be with you?" And the the reason to believe that is what he is actually saying is because moments later, his spirit was taken up, and he said it is finished. So that's a really significant because. All these things have doctoral aspects, and, mm-hmm. and the doctrinal aspect, you probably heard this, is that God had to abandon his son on the cross because he had taken on the sin of the world. Have you ever heard that doctrine? Oh, I've heard it preached. And I think that's the most abominable, asinine thing any theologian has ever said, uh, that God would actually abandon his son on the cross. If he abandoned his son, what about us? What... You know, this, yeah. this is, Yehovah did not abandon his son. He is there with him every second, just like he is with us. And we called out to him and said, why have you spared me? He took him up, and, and it was finished. He had done everything he had been told to do. So the, these doctrinal things that people say that have no basis in, in Scripture and, are, you know, are, are really, can be really, really harmful, some of these doctrinal, you know, well, and, and you know, you know, I, I think that um, all Christians need to really 
appreciate to to the degree that the human mind can even grasp this mm -hmm. but what the lord did for our sins to be paid for the atonement the atonement right. let me ask you this what what does the word atonement mean well uh, i'm thinking of uh, deuteronomy Yehovah says the life of the flesh is in the blood and i myself have given it to you on the altar mm -hmm. uh, so in other words, so, he's saying that uh, there has to be blood for the sins that have been made, and, and they, in order for them to be forgiven, they, they have to be paid for with blood. Sure. But he paid that with his son's sacrifice. With he his own blood. So, so right, let me ask which, you this. the blood of his son, and that, and that is what gives us freedom from our sins if we, if we embrace him and believe in him. Um, Matthew 27 uh, the, the phenomenon that the sky became dark, the earthquake, the veil is torn from top to bottom, the rocks mm -hmm. rent. Um, when, uh, and and I, I don't think anybody fully can completely know what was going on when uh, the, the sins of the world were put on Jesus, and the Father and Son, they weren't separated, the Father didn't abandon Jesus, but... To achieve the atonement, um, the law was fulfilled, um, and it's almost as if the elements were just unraveling themselves during the Matthew 27, you know, the earthquake and all that. Um, at the very least, I mean, we know that the huge significance, the monumental significance of what God was doing to offer us salvation. Um, mm -hmm. to, what, what are some of the key truths from... The gospels that that you want listeners to grasp right. things that maybe well, are a, overlooked well that's a that's a really great selection uh, because that's different in the Hebrew Gospels and it, this has to do with that perspective we talked about it doesn't contradict the Greek Gospels but it tells a different story from a Hebrew perspective to the Greeks the splitting of the veil allowed them to have access to Yehovah without the intervention of the Hebrew priest to the Messianic community who had walked in that temple. The desecration of the Holy of Holies itself was a foreshadowing of the of the de total destruction of the temple that would happen in 40 years that was predicted by Daniel and by Yeshua himself. So when you're talking, when the, the moment actually came, I see it as Yehovah's testimony that this was his son during the earthquake. And in the Hebrew Gospels, it says that the 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 um, the the great huge lintel stone above the entry to the Holy of Holies that was split in two by the earthquake and the stones of the inner temple from the top to the bottom, from the front to the back, and it fell. Now, when that huge lintel stone fell, the the veil was hanging beneath it. It would have torn that veil, you know, in two. Okay. Well. With, with its fall, so it's not like it's a contradiction, it's just a totally different perspective. But Jerome said, in his commentary on Matthew, written in the 4th century, he is the one who translated the Hebrew Gospels into Greek and Latin. He said that uh, that they, they recorded what was the early church tradition, the 1st century church tradition, that was actually the lintel stone that was cracked and broken, and uh, that is also in Mark and Luke. It's in Mark fifteen thirty-eight and and Luke twenty-three forty-five. And it all three verses 
in the Hebrew Gospels speak about the actual stones of the temple, in particular the lintel stone, being split in half, you know, and uh, there was an outer temple with much bigger stones, but the inner temple was desecrated and forever by that. In fact, they had to, they had to move out into the, the marketplace, the, the Sanhedrin did to meet, because their, their big chamber room was, was also cracked and, and no longer safe to use, so they actually had to move out. That's where his daybreak trial had happened, where they declared him a blasphemer and condemned him mm-hmm. to death. So this, this was just a mighty, mighty testimony of Yehovah as to his son and his and their condemnation of him and their execution of him. But those are that gives us an amazing validation of the Hebrew Gospels being from an original first century source. That they say these things that that uh, that uh, Jerome said they said. You know, yeah. who was the one who translated the Hebrew Gospels into Greek and Latin? Um, you know, in the Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one through fifty-four, when it talks about um, many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and appeared after his resurrection, because you know it seems like you're you're getting some details about the crucifixion, but then the resurrection of some of the saints. Um, seems to would have had to have occurred after his resurrection so and i've got a a follow-up question but give me your overall um synopsis of that the resurrection of some of the saints in conjunction with christ's resurrection well it obviously happened because it says it did in in scripture i'm not sure i fully understand why except that this was his first coming and his return to uh, perhaps those uh, saints were taken up with him. Uh, yeah, um, is it almost? I, I, I found it fascinating. I don't. I don't claim to understand everything about the story, but uh, I certainly have focused on that particular verse and wondered what it was all about. It, it is a fascinating scripture, and, and let me ask your opinion here because I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't know that we can fully understand it, but. Christ's resurrection, you know, it is, I mean, it it, it says, okay, this is a, a done deal. God is victorious. Sin has been paid for. Satan has been defeated. The grave has been, uh, you know, spoiled and plundered. Christ is victorious. And it's almost like the resurrection of Jesus is such a monumental event that some of the, some of the saints arose... It's, it's like uh, there's no way this world couldn't be touched by this resurrection. And while the complete resurrection of all believers is yet to come, here's just a little smidgen of what the, the great resurrection will be like. It was just impossible for the graveyards not to respond to this victorious life and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying this very articulately, but is that is that fair to say that it was such a monumental just, event it touched the whole world? Yeah, well, it, it, sounds, uh, it sounds like you're on track there. I mean, we have an old covenant that has been renewed. All right, so that's a, that's a marker of that. So all of those saints under the old covenant are now risen up and gone with them, and a, and a renewed covenant has begun. Uh, so that would seem to definitely mark... Uh, a time to 
raise those saints up to him. Um, and, it's, and, it's everything changed, did it not? Sure. Yeah. It was still to, the a continuation of the old covenant, but there were definitely changes. There were no more sacrifices or animals, or no more temple ceremony because the temple was soon to be destroyed. Uh, so, and understanding what is and is not still current for us in the old covenant. And the Renewed Covenant is really, I think, one of the biggest challenges of Christians today. If you could recommend one of your books for people to start with to begin to understand some of the Jewish nuances of the Gospels, uh, what would be your your recommendation? Well, we just finished a book called Messianic Church Arising, and it's, uh, it is from the time of Constantine to the present time. It, it tells about the survival of the Messianic Church throughout 20 centuries and the uh, survival of the Hebrew Gospels. Now, the first volume of that set was Sons of Zion versus Sons of Greek, because the whole story between the the war between the Greeks and the and the and the, the Hebrews really starts at Genesis. So it goes through that. It goes through the r- r- arrival of the Messiah, and uh, we're we're actually doing a TV show that will be coming out this year because. Uh, we can take each one of these issues and deal with it in detail. So that's been coming out called The Main Event. It'll come out this year. Wonderful, wonderful. Hey, well, we've got a, a visit again soon. We're about out of time right now, but Dr. Miles Jones, I really appreciate that. And folks, this well, thanks, is Alex, Alex. McFarlane. We've been talking about biblical worldview. But you know what the bottom line is? God loves you. Christ died for you. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Put your faith in Jesus, he'll forgive your sins, he'll save your soul, and you can grow and you can learn and you can rise to the challenge of 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready to give an answer for what you believe and share this with gentleness and respect. We'll be back at 3 p.m. Central with Exploring the Word. Keep your radio tuned to AFR. May God. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.